Hi, it's Kyra, and you're listening to Happy Little Accidents. This week on Happy Little Accidents, we're going to be exploring the $64 billion art market and the price of art. So regardless of your spending habits, I'm sure someone is wondering why is it so expensive, right? So let's say you're shopping around for works, you're looking to buy your first piece, or maybe you're just looking to get more into art collecting. So if you scouted out some galleries in Chelsea, made your way to the Upper East Side, and made your way all the way down to the Lower East Side, and compiled a list of artists, styles, and sizes, and you're ready. But there's one issue. You compiled this list, but you're not sure how the pricing factors in, or even what a fair price would be. So how does the pricing even work? The global art market, including auctions, galleries, and art fair sales, saw $64 billion in sales, which was an increase from the previous year. So now back to that daunting question. Why is art just so damn expensive? Well, in short, most art isn't. The art market is similar to many other markets in the economy that relies on supply and demand. The pricing is a type of prediction market where the value of the work is not only based on the perceived value, but also a similar past monetary metric and future potential value. The art market is also not transparent. The private sector of the art world is not readily available, and those private sales usually represent up to half of the market. The principal market participants in this case include private collectors, museums, and large corporate interests. So in comparison to, let's say, the commodities market or even the securities market, the participants in the art market is smaller in size, and art valuation depends on those that influence or analyze the market. The peaks of the market take place during the spring and the fall where the majority of art fairs occur. In the first episode of the season, I relayed the similarities between the stock market and the art market and the volatility in the financial sector plays around the flow of the art market. So the art market in large can be broken down to two sectors, and that's the primary art market and the secondary art market. The primary market is the arrival of new art, while the secondary market is the reselling of work that have previously been on the market. The price from the primary market directly influences the secondary market, while supply and demand influences the secondary market more than the primary market. So the alpha consumers or the major influential players in the market include galleries, dealers, and advisors. The barriers in the market do exist between blue chip works, works which are by well-known artists, but also works that have transactional history in comparison with works that are made by lesser known artists. And that just makes the price and potential harder to predict in this case. So the intimacy of the art world, like I mentioned earlier, has led to less transparent foundation. But this really came under fire during the financial crisis of 08, when the exclusivity to the prices chalked up an unethical behavior and rubbed people the wrong way. These ethics also gave attention to the practice of chandelier bidding in the market. And for those who are unfamiliar with the term chandelier bidding, it's when bids from unknown parties, um, well, example would be auction houses bidding on a piece of work in their establishment for seller creating a conflict of interest when the bidding raises the price of an item by parties and then they have no intention of buying you know the work but also just driving up the price another example of chandelier bidding so outside of behaviors of auction houses is the pricing that occurs within art galleries and the gallery sector of the market has the ability to set the standard for what is hot and how much it'll go for and that ability is actually an understatement the ability to set the standard and the threshold for a piece of work is unheard of in most markets and the ability to change the price that could influence the art market would be illegal in other areas of the economy when someone is responsible 
comfortable for the market value but hold the stake in the profits or the outcome, it's not good for all parties. The, the manipulation of prices causes distortions in the market. And the question is, does the art world need more regulations? So oftentimes if you ask why the prices go to the beat of the market, it's because it's in the best interest of the artist. So value in art is subjective, but the tangible value of work would be materials. But past those, aspects of the matter are pretty much unseen. In other markets in the economy, the price of items are publicly known and prices reflect the market value. This is not the case in art sales. Prices are unknown. Sellers are unknown. Transactions are unknown. The price of work and market value are not linear. When an art gallery sets the price for a work, pricing too um, can make places or make negative implications if they're too low on the brand of an artist. While works priced too high may not sell. Now, the influence of the buyer is the um, higher the profile, the higher the perceived value the work becomes. And galleries give special attention to collectors who are the movers and shakers to purchase a work first, in addition to discounts, which become available to collectors, and even um, museums allowing for the value of the art and the brand of the artist to be elevated. Now, when a piece of work is in auction or when the collector sells the work, you may think that the gallery is out of the picture. No, think again. The goal of the art dealer is to elevate their artist. And if that means participation in an auction or communication with a collector, it's for the sake of the value. So who controls the market? Some may say that galleries control the market and do a good job at it. And galleries can control the market with price and buyers. And this spills into the secondary market. Now, the control of the market goes hand in hand with fostering each artist on their roster. Often there's a trajectory for the artist's career and galleries obviously want that to be in an uptrend. So simply, a gallery begins promoting the artist through exhibitions and fairs, exposing the work to seasoned collectors. Once the artist's work is in, let's say, the right hands for value purpose, they are essentially endorsed by the art world. The right hands of a collector and relationships are important for the success of a gallery. This goes to the future of the work and the potential. Relationships between the gallery and who's purchasing the art is also an understatement of the potential of the art and where it's going. For example, communication for availability to be shown in exhibitions or on the other side, if this type of communication doesn't exist, then a work can sell on the secondary market, staying in the private sector and also can be untraceable. So while galleries like to keep track of who has their artist's work, once a piece enter enters the secondary market, often the auction house prices are public and essentially anyone could buy it. So interesting enough, there's been research done on the sensory impacts of the aesthetic value of art and how that impacts the viewer. Art with red hues tends to sell more, but that also makes sense in regards to color psychology. Red has been associated with passion and action, and in the presence of red, your respiratory rates actually increase, and so does your blood pressure. So often big brands have used red as a sole color in their logos, like 3M, Target, Levi Jeans, and Canon. So also, the value indicator in the market has been scarcity, right? And that's pretty important. The less of a piece obviously results in it being plain and simply just different. It's unique. Value that speaks to senses and labor on the piece also increases the value of art. And obviously, gallery rep representation will raise a piece of a work. So what does a buyer look for in art? 
high volume art collecting is time consuming and it's, well, it's expensive. The social benefits of art collecting are often a large part to the pursuit. So speaking with collectors, many don't necessarily believe or stand by the price, but what they do stand by is the knowledge they hold on the art world, the market, and specific artists. So with that in regards, when they are buying a piece, they don't feel like they're overpaying. The manipulation of prices in the art world usually occur in the primary market with an elite set of participants. Now, this doesn't pertain to all facets of the art market. Smaller galleries outside larger cities transact a little bit differently. And I mean, usually the price that's stated on the piece is the price that it's bought at. And people buying the pieces are often of different economic, social economic backgrounds. Not always, but often enough. So there are two models existing in regards to pricing. So how would the market function better if price manipulation wasn't prevalent? In the Chinese art market, half of art sales occur at auctions. Thus, prices are public, then the market standards are public. Yet the auction house isn't perfect, and there are instances of price rigging in the Chinese art market. Literally, Transparency seems to be far-fetched in art pricing. Each model has pros and cons. The gallery model facilitates relationships between collectors and artists and sets the tone for an artist's career. So this is good, but what people would want would be forcing galleries to be more transparent. That means publicly listing prices similar to real estate. In 1988, New York State required galleries to quote-unquote consciously display prices, but this isn't always enforced. The public presence of art prices is still not demystified and it doesn't seem like in the capacity that it works that it will get transparency in the market may change the taste of the market you can always argue that dealers who are setting the prices are doing it for the value of art being well versed in art history and seasoned industry professionals where they know exactly where work needs to be placed So this can indicate that the market isn't wrong but just misunderstood now even if transparency opened up a little bit, there would still be a sector of the art world that would be operating behind closed doors. So price transparency might not even make a real difference. These prices may benefit the gallery or the artist or both parties' interest, but right now the current state doesn't seem equal. Almost a year ago, a 1986 silver large rabbit sculpture by Jeff Kuhn sold for $91.1 million at a Christie's auction, which had set the record for the most expensive work by a living artist. And that was purchased by a gallerist who was a former Goldman Sachs partner and founded his own gallery for the private sector, which the piece was purchased for. And the sale made headlines, but the price of the work and the artists who are part of it are kind of walking in this tightrope sales of the art world, right? And they're in between commonality and anomalies in terms of this level of money being exchanged and the significance of Jeff Kuhn's name. Most living artists will not sell a work at this price. It's not normal. But this headline makes you wonder why is art so expensive when I've already said it isn't? To enter the market, often artists need gallery representation, which isn't easy. Galleries visit MFA shows, they scout for artists. So if you're listening, get your best pieces ready. But in perspective, and MFA is not even cheap, average cost is about 40000 a year, and for the total degree, is about 100000 So a study in 2014 by BFA MFA PhD Collective found that artists who made a sole living as an artist were 77.6% white. And guess what? 
80% are art school graduates. So what happens if you stand on grad school? You may have the chance to show your work in a group show with other emerging artists. And what if your work sells? You might even get a solo exhibition. And if that does well, well, you might just have a career on your hands. So the price for these MFA grads and emerging artists are based on the size of the piece and the medium. So a larger work could uh, be less than 20000 in that 10 k range. But if you're represented by a blue chip gallery, even as an emerging artist, your work could be priced higher. And that sale would usually result in 50% profit for you, the artist. But according to UBS and Art Basel report in 2017, smaller galleries were closing while gallery monopolies were opening more locations to cater to the global art market. So to have a booth at an art fair can rack you up to 50,000 just to show some of the artists on your roster. Now, this is obviously a heavy cost super hefty, right, for a gallery. And it's an investment, but for a smaller gallery, it's gonna be a scary cost, yet art fairs are necessary at this time in the market. The driver of art prices are collectors going after a small amount of living artists while putting smaller galleries and emerging artists at risk. So what is the signaling drive for an artist? Curators speaking on the artist or well-known collectors buying the artwork would be too. So there is hype around the artist and thus desire arises. So a work will sell for six figures simply because the art world has decided that that work should sell for six figures. Now, in context, only 0.2% of artists have work that sold them have work that's priced at more than 10k that's selling for that price. But 32% of the art world sales came from works that were priced over that 10K range. So revenue and profits in the art world are distributed on a slant. So the question is, how do these top tier profits fluctuate through all tiers of the market? The connotation that the only the elite and the rich buy art came up with the 27th sale of Salvatore Mundi and how art played into the art world. Well, how money played into the sustainability of the art world. So art isn't just a luxury. In value, it's an investment. So if you invest your money wisely, then it can be worth much more later on. And this is touched upon a lot in the documentary, The Price of Everything, which looks at the role of money in the art world and really nails the concept of buying art low and selling it high and, well, just not involving the artist. And this is what happened in 2008 with the financial crisis. Pieces were placed on the chopping block for lower than expected. And due to the crisis, people had to sell works. And it's safe to say that now anyone who bought during the last financial crisis are pretty happy with their purchases. And remember, artists don't benefit financially at auction. Coons won't see any money from his record-breaking sale, and neither will David Hockney for the portrait of an artist that sold at auction six months prior, but the gallery and the previous owner will. So talking about what a collector profits on a work, let's say they buy for $2 million, sell for $4.4 million, and they don't actually have to pay capital gain taxes if the gains go towards purchasing another piece of work. So in the material sense, artists only benefit when their work is sold in the primary market. And there's been several attempts to gain royalties in the secondary market. In 2011, artists, including Chuck Close, filed a class action lawsuit against eBay, Sotheby's, and Christie's in regards to the California Resale Royalties Act, which states that California residents who sell anywhere in the country are entitled to 5% of the resale price that resulted in more than $1,000. It actually ended up that the federal court sided with the sellers. So in 2018, $29.9 billion worth of art was sold in America, which made it one of the most successful years recorded. 
And ArtFairs contributed $8.5 billion to that, which was 6% gain from the previous year. And so just looking at the bigger picture, the top art markets for 2018 was the U.S. was first, then the U.K., then China. And those three markets contributed to 84% of sales. So it's important to note that online sales were actually up 11%, making up $6 billion of all sales. Even though art market sales have gone up, more than half of dealers actually have declined in their sales. And the value of sale prices increased 9% and the volume of art went down. So as we see the rifts in the market that often cloud the rest of the market, most transactions are only happening at the 5000 or below dollar mark. So we need to pay more attention to living artists who are building sustainable careers and what that says about the market. The overall market price Pricing is still lopsided and art patronage is often a mystery, but when you're buying art, you have to decide if it's worth it for you and you honestly have to control the controllables. While we can try to control the controllables and influence the non-controllables, the art market is not going to slow down and the price is not controllable per se. As art continues to become more conceptual and daring, so does the market that it exists in. When trying to understand the value of art, there's a value that we hold. What we value and how we value the price of art merges. Many people look at abstract art as, I could have done that, but the same thinking can be done to any sector of the world in most industries, and it really just causes frustrations for the viewer. So. The taste of the market is going to change. Prices will fluctuate and the relevance of contemporary art will continue. It's just about finding your place and a comfortable understanding of how art impacts you. So while you're aware of the controllables, you also want to be aware of the non-controllables, what the market controls. And I would say that goes with the demand for uh, sales and the higher amount of sales happening and how that correlates to prices that are happening. Also, the geographical distribution of the art market around the globe and how that impacts the kind of artists you're looking at and what you're looking to gain. Also, understanding public auction houses and their impact in how many are located and which auction houses work with which artists and just kind of understanding the expertise in those houses. In addition, just understanding overall how mature and stable the market can be and where it's going and how that will impact your decision. So we know that the overall price index for contemporary art is up 22% from the previous year. We know that the increasement of contemporary artworks that are actually being sold worldwide are increasing ever so much since 2000. We also know that this year there has been a higher volume of art generated. So when we think about that distribution over the globe, we I've already mentioned that the United States, the UK, and then China and Hong Kong have accounted for majority of the global contemporary art market sales on the secondary market, right? And so the United States and Asia do account for 66 of those total sales. The UK market actually was down 20% from the previous year, and they contributed $435 million. And if you look at the continent of Europe, you will see that three European countries, including Italy, Germany, and France, 
actually um, you know, producing at high volumes in terms of Italy in that 11 million range, Germany in that 20 million range, and France in that 40 million range. And then in addition, if you look at Hong Kong, you'll see they actually account for 14% of all global sales. And then Japan also accounted for, as I mentioned previously, maybe not, but 20 million when they're right behind Germany in that 20 million range. So we see that the global art market is spiking and we know where these pieces are being sold. So you need to account this into what type of artists you're looking for, what markets they're in, what markets that they are currently transitioning into and how they'll impact your goal of either purchasing a piece of art or understanding the pricing of an artist. The contemporary art market is an intense playground and prices inflate rapidly due to the need for select number of artists. Capital gains are being measured in the million dollar range and honestly the market isn't just focused on a small number of artists but also relies on a similar number of players that influence the market wholly. Some of the top auction results in 2019 include Rothko's untitled work 1960 from FS MoMA for a total of 50.1 million at Sotheby's New York. And then Bacon's study for a head 1952 sold for 50.3 million at Sotheby's New York in May. Andy Warhol's double Elvis 1963 sold at Christie's in New York in May for 53 million. And Robert Rauschenberg's Buffalo 2 1964 sold at Christie's New York in May for or 88.8 million. So when looking at pricing and looking at what interest museum, it's important to just understand because they are cultural institutions and their accessibility to everyone really sets a tone for art education, but also the value of what people should be exposed to in their opinion. So we see that 2019, there were obviously large prices that were being exchanged in terms of money changing hands. But we also see that 2018 museums began to diversify and reevaluate their collections. So 85% of artists in major museums are white. The representation of women in these major collections only make up 5%. And in the last 10 years, acquisitions of African-American art only contributed to 3% of museum collections. So with these numbers, it's important to look at who is in charge. 46% of museum boards are white and 93% of directors fit the same demographic. So as we see a change in how museums are operating, we see a change in what is being bought. The diversifying factor creates new competition between works, raising the price and creating more exclusivity, which is a price driver. So why I'm bringing this up is because these numbers are significant to the art market and reflect the non-progressive stats that I just said. And when looking at certain artists in terms of gender, age, and medium, there's an obvious contrast in pricing. The concentration of art sales are in the auction houses, and less than 0.03% of works are by female artists. So the art world is disproportionately male and white, which is an immediate change in price among race and gender. So art pricing is political, and the rifts in management spills directly into the rifts in pricing. And when these issues arise, the art associated with these institutions come into questions in regards to the selection process. At the Brooklyn Museum, Protesters began surrounding the understanding that the new chief curator for the African collection was a white woman. And also, protesters examined the fact that an exhibition at the British Museum was sponsored by BP. So the pressure that is being placed on art museums will, in fact, influence the future of the art market. The relationship between museums and collectors and museums and galleries and collectors and galleries are all dependent upon another. So we know that artists' reputations undergo an evaluation 
in terms of being ranked higher when their work is presented in a museum. And we saw this exactly with the market correction of Carrie James Marshall and the selling of pastimes in 2019 at Sotheby's for $21.1 million. So experiencing work gives monetary value to works. Art is an experience. At the end of the day, the cost is reflective of that experience, but that cost might be someone's livelihood. That cost might be how much exposure we get from a certain artist based on social economic status, gender, or race. So what does 2020 hold for pricing in regards to the art market? Throughout this episode, I've brought up the fact that pricing of art is dependent on the climate of the world and takes social cues from political and economic influences aside from the major primary market players. There's been an increase in sales from various artists of color passing the $20 million mark in the scene study. In addition, young and new artists are hot, and with their sales comes their ideologies, which differ from the boomer generation of artists, and will expose a multitude of cultures to the primary market. There's a shift of women entering the permanent collections and museums, which will drive the base price for female artists, and the use of technology and art pricing will play a strong role. So, like I said before, if you're new to buying art, if you're a seasoned art collector, or if you're somewhere in between trying to understand but you just know you love art, just control the controllables and understand the uncontrollables. Before you go, make sure you check out my website for updates at kyramarrera.info. Check out my Instagram at Confessions of a Gallerina and my YouTube channel, Confessions of a Gallerina, and stay tuned for the next episode. 